0: I'm Tom Morello and welcome to Maximum Firepower. I am joined this week by brother Wayne Kramer of the mighty MC5, the Motor City 5, and Chris Dose, Chris number two of Anti-Flag. Uh, one thing that was certainly disruptive on a number of levels was the Rock Against Bush tour uh, in 2003. Now this was, I don't know if you know this part of the story, but this was, the election was coming up and, you know, there was war and collusion with Wall Street and the world was headed into a dumpster and I got a call from, I think it was like the Bruce Springsteen management. They were going on a sort of a pro- John Kerry tour they had I think it was called Rock for Change or Voice for Change or something like that and it was Connor Oberst was on it I think Neil Young I think REM was playing some and they asked me to to do something on that I got a call at exactly the same time for a tour called the Rock Against Bush tour that was being hosted by Anti Flag, and I don't know if you know this Chris but I said these two tours should be one tour and like let's get me and anti-flag on this tour it will and it will and we'll have you know there'll be sort of a diversity of political perspectives but all both rocking for change and being against Bush at the same time it was a yeah. Yeah, it was a hard no the band's name anti-flag was not going to fly for whatever it was they were whatever for <laughs> carry for what I don't no
1: idea why yeah.
0: <laughs> and so and so I made what for me was the easy decision was to go on this sort of the punk rock version of that so Chris tell me some of your memories of the my, my principal memory I have a lot of memories anti-flag was headlining. I was going out as the night watchman. when it was an acoustic political troubadour. And we got the, there was some money in it from like fat, Records or something like that, yeah, they wrapped yeah. the bus. Like the bus was mm-hmm. really beautifully done It said Rock Against Bush. I think it's some like ugly caricature of George W. Bush on the side. And we drove this bus all around the South and we drove it everywhere. And yeah, we would yeah, get yeah. egged from time to time and like swor- tractor trailers swerving us off the road from time to time. Yeah, they
1: called it the Rock Against Bus Tour because people yes. threw rocks <laughs> <It> was ro- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is very, very uh, apt. Yeah. It
1: also had facts and stats as to why you should consider not voting for George Bush on the side of the bus. So there was, there was, but uh, another funny bus story is that the bus company got the wrap they were like yeah cool they cast the check and then when they unfolded it and saw what it was they refused to do it so our bus driver bought a heat gun and he put the wrap on himself under a bridge in seattle the day of the first oh show. my gosh huh? that's fantastic <laughs> that's- and the bus driver also kept a tally of how many like positive honks and how many little <laughs> fingers he got and what and, was and- what was the ratio there were more middle fingers, so yeah. we were pretty convinced we were going to lose. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: That was that was the stra- the unofficial straw poll. That, uh, uh, but
1: but it, it's also where that that amalgamation of the rock against Bush stuff is where I met Wayne when we went to the mm-hmm. Iowa caucuses together right. and performed. Scott at, yeah, Scott Goodstein. Yeah, Scott Goodstein who went on to do incredible stuff for
0: Barack Obama yeah. and-, and he ran the digital, he, Yeah, he ran the digital campaign for Barack Obama and was involved in Bernie's yeah. campaign as well. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that why it was really important to have us involved, the three of us that are on this conversation, is because it wasn't our first forte into politics. And what I found, maybe the most fatal flaw of that whole thing was we didn't prepare people for failure. And Bush was kind of the beginning of what we're seeing now, where people are hitching their wagon to presidents so fervorously. And it really doesn't matter to you and I who the president is, and especially those that have an empathetical compass where you're trying to lift up those that are most vulnerable, they're still vulnerable regardless of if it's Biden or Trump or regardless of if it's Bush or Kerry, et cetera, et cetera. We're trying to minimize that damage with our actions, which is why we do these things and why we do get involved in a process of voting. But it's not where the activism begins or ends. It's just a a part of it. And so for a lot of bands that got involved with Rock Against Bush, whether it was on the Warp Tour or Lollapalooza or or the other places that we kind of niched our way in, some of those bands were like, oh shit, we lost. We're done with politics. We're not going to be into this anymore. And And that's just not really how it works for those of us that live it every day. So I think that it was real valuable that we were a part of that tour, counterintuitive to the Connor Oberst and the Cheryl Crows of the worlds that went on, the, the big one. But I think that our main value in it was explaining to these people that came to the shows, like, yeah, it's good to vote against the war and vote against George Bush and vote against corporate welfare states. But it also is very valuable to be you know where you spend your money is more important than where you vote a lot of the time and uh the way we lift up those that are you know the targets of police violence that's the conversation we need to be having not necessarily i voted for joe biden therefore i'm going to wear his t-shirt around and fucking put a sign a a flag from my house like that's fucking ridiculous to me politicians are not celebrities and if they are they should be knocked off their pedestal
0: one of the the most memorable parts for that tour was, you know, this was a punk rock audience. This is an anti flag audience. So the age, there's fifteen year olds to whatever year olds who are fervent fans of punk rock music. Some of these fans have heard have heard of a band called Rage Against the Machine. Some of them, a fewer percentage still might be even familiar with the guitar player Tom Morello is like the shredding axe master. None of them 0% of them are ready for that guy to come out there with an acoustic guitar and with his rich milk chocolate baritone voice sing them some folk songs. Let me tell you that. You (laughs) you didn't didn't have
1: a song out. You you didn't have an album. I didn't have an album out.
0: I didn't have a song (laughs) out. I didn't have anything out. I'm like my name's Tom Morello. I'm like right, Bulls on Parade bro. Bulls on Parade bro. I'm like why does he have a nylon string acoustic guitar and i was just like i was just i was on such a mission like every day i go out there and i'm gonna you know my job is to win over this this seething throng of you know uh,
1: successful successful every time also quick anecdote the first show tom shows up it's in san francisco i remember this like it was yesterday san francisco 2003 tom walks in with his guitar raises his hand while we're sound checking there's a cab out front that needs paid. I don't have any
0: money. <laughs> I totally remember that. I totally remember that. And 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 the tour and the tour ended ended ingloriously as well. As I just is <laughs> like on a dark Pittsburgh street on a dark Pittsburgh hill. I like got my bag out of the out of it was like rolling up there, and I looked over my shoulder and said to you guys, and he was never seen again. <laughs> yeah,
1: the, the, the bus driver closes the door as Tom says, and he was never seen again and we just drove (laughs) off and I was like I really hope we see him again
0: That was brilliant. That's super that brilliant. funny. So, all right. So, 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 I want to uh, just sort of from the if you could each just relay because sometimes people are like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? And I know that you run. I'm running into people every day at the you know, pre-pandemic at the grocery store where people say the music was impactful to them. It made them become a a public defender. It made them became a brick throwing anarchist. It made it opened their mind to look at, at to consider anti racism as something they might engage with. But I'd like to talk about like sort of s- specific concrete victories that you have been involved in as someone involved in a protest band.
2: Wayne. We formed a political party. It was about 50% in jest because we weren't all that serious, but the black Panther party, Huey Newton said there needed to be a white group in the white community that does parallel, but separate work. And we said, that's us. And, you know, we had weapons and we embraced a militant stance. And someone bombed the CIA office in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I didn't set a bomb. I don't know any bombers. The FBI indicted and arrested three of our members, John Sinclair, White Panther Minister of Defense, Pun and and a third man, um, Jack Forrest. And they said they had phone conversations of them talking about dynamite. When we got to federal court in Detroit, we asked to see the warrants for the wiretaps to tap our phones. They said, we don't have to show you the warrants. It's the national security. We're not going to do it. So Judge Damon Keith threw the case out. The U.S. Justice Department appealed the case to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati, who sided with us again that the government had to have a warrant to tap our phones. Again, the Justice Department, the Mitchell Justice Department um, appealed and we went to the United States Supreme Court. And our lawyer, uh, the great Arthur Canoy, the labor lawyer, argued in that if a sitting president could by decree Order the wiretaps of citizens, who knows, he might wiretap his political rivals, never realizing that that exact thing was happening right up the street at the Watergate headquarters of the mm. Democratic Party. Mm. Kanoi made a compelling argument to the justices, and we all sat back and waited for the decision. On the Monday, The decision would come down. Everyone kind of felt like the White Panthers were going to win this, you know, that it was clearly violated the Sixth Amendment. On the Sunday night before the Monday, the plumbers were caught taking the bugs out of the Watergate Democratic headquarters, because on Monday, they would be illegal. So... This rock band from Detroit and a bunch of crazed poets brought down Richard Nixon. I put, <laughs> I, I put a Fender Stratocaster up his ass. <laughs> that's a great yeah, story. I didn't they, know that, Wayne. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: now you're going to ask me to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's incredible. And you know, looking at this conversation generationally. A lot of anti flags activism has occurred in a post Patriot Act world. Those wiretaps, all of that stuff, is completely legal now on yeah. the basis of conspiracy. Yeah. And so I think I think that you know, uh, like again, going back to my family, you know, my cousin is in jail for cocaine right now on conspiracy charges through the Patriot Act because they wired, they tapped all their phones together, and it's it's. Incredible that a lot of people don't recognize that when they pass these things in the interest of national security, I'm using air quotes here for the the listeners at home, it has turned into domestic (laughs) policy. And um, I think that in line with the Patriot Act, the, the greatest accomplishment of, or one of the greater accomplishments of Anti Flag is that there was a little known provision in the No Child Left Behind Act that gave military recruiters access to high school students' records. And when we went to high school, there was a little card you got and you filled that out if you wanted the military to have your information. This automatically did it and you had to opt out from giving the military your information. Mm -hmm. So we partnered with uh, Jim McDermott, who was a congressman from uh, Seattle. And that's, we we challenged that provision and we're able to get it overturned with a lot of cool activism. He had a photo of anti-flag in the Capitol and he was like, they look like weirdos, but they have a good thing. You know? <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah. So I, I mean, much less compelling than your story, Wayne, but, no, no, uh, but it's, e- equally as important. Yeah.
0: Equally as important. I, th- I think the thing in, in all these stories is, is the recognition that courage is contagious, you know, and that merely sort of standing up for the thing. In and of itself, has a great value, but sometimes there are concrete wins, and you know I've been fortunate to be a part of a number of them. The one that I'll that I'll highlight is the Immokalee workers in Florida. They're the people like that pick the, the tomatoes and the lettuce for Burger Kings and McDonald's and whatnot, and they had a very sort of modest. They were or organizing around like getting like sort of one more cent an hour or something like that, and were of course the growers said absolutely not. That would you know we, we'll never do it and you know in playing a number of shows on their behalf in a number number of different states i was in no way responsible for that victory but the idea of helping to, of one letting those people who are on the front lines know that they're not alone letting them know that people are paying attention helping to steal the backbone of people who are physically on the picket lines you know many of them had never heard of any of the bands that i was in but like here's a guy from los angeles who's come here to be here today because he cares that we make another cent an hour you know it does help put wind in the sails and we won and we won and they got everything they wanted and they want it was through their perseverance and their fight but being able to one shed a little bit of a light on it with with the the people who listen to my music but also of being shoulder to shoulder with people who are working on a daily basis who do not have podcasts and who do not have access to recording studios and things like mm-hmm. that is is in and of itself a worthwhile endeavor I'm Tom Morello. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. We're talking with Brother Wayne Kramer, the MC5, and Chris Dose of Anti-Flag. I want to talk for uh, a little bit about Jail Guitar Doors. Wayne, tell, tell us what Jail Guitar Doors is and how The Clash wrote a song about you.
2: Well, in the 1970s, after the MC5 imploded, I lost my way and uh, fell in with a crew of uh, unsavory characters And thought I was a gangster, thought I was going to sling drugs, and I was going to make a lot of money. And, of course, you know, as a gangster, I'm a total failure, and I'm not a killer, and uh, I'm not a hustler, and uh, I'm not tough. And the judge didn't see it that way, and so he gave me a four-year prison term. While I was locked up, this new music emerged, punk rock. And this band in England wrote a song called Jail Guitar Doors that chronicled my misadventures with the police and a couple other fellow musicians, uh, Peter Green and Keith Richards. And I thought at the time, you know, when I got out of prison, everyone said, well, you know, The Clash wrote this song about you. I thought it was terrific. You know, it was a great show of solidarity from some brother musicians that I didn't even know and didn't think much more of it. And then after I was released from prison, I watched for 30 years as more and more people just like me went to prison for longer sentences under worse conditions than I did. And finally, the activists in me just got pissed off enough that I had to do something. You know, the treatment for my own apathy and my own cynicism is taking ethical action. So what could I do? Well, music was important to me when I was in prison and I think it was important to my fellow prisoners. Let me call up all my musician friends and get them to come with me, and we'll do some concerts in prisons. Tom Morello's one of the guys I took with <laughs> me on the very first jail guitar doors intervention, along with um, the great activist and troubadour uh, Billy Bragg. Billy had jail guitar doors written on his guitar. I said, what's up with that? He told me he had launched an initiative in Britain to honor Joe Strummer's life's work and call it Jail Guitar Doors and provide instruments to prisoners to use as tools for rehabilitation. The more we talked about it, I decided this was exactly what I was looking for. And on that same day, 11 years ago now, we launched Jail Guitar Doors USA, what we do is simple. We well, find we,
0: we, just we played in Sing Sing prison. Don't don't sort of gloss over the, <laughs> don't, sorry, I'm the gig. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah.
2: Thank you. Don't gloss over that the gig
0: leaving. where we played where we played Thin Lizzie's jailbreak in <laughs> Sing Sing prison in yeah. front of a room of a room of. Hardened criminals. That was a that was quite an afternoon, Wayne. I got to tell you. Yeah, and yeah.
2: and Tom killed it. Tom, they they stood up and cheered when Tom played.
0: Well, I'll um, say what they did. Like I've no, I had known Wayne for a while, known Wayne for a while, and you know he was always there whenever asked to do some sort of show. But I had never seen Wayne in this particular context. We you know we we're playing the show, and it's 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 going it's weird playing in Sing Sing prison, which is which is like an old draconian kind of jail. It's not one of those sort of super maxi ones. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, a very like sort of old castle. Medieval, medieval, super (laughs) medieval, super medieval. And so, you know, we're playing the show and then Wayne gets on the mic and addresses the prisoners who, who are playing there. And, and it was a different person than I had ever been around before. Like Wayne is commanding this room, like Wayne who has been in a, a facility just like this one, you know, th- there was a slight shift in sort of in vernacular and in focus. And he just had everyone in the room just rapped. And we we're I was like, like, Wayne Kramer is a bad motherfucker, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, he's a great guitar player. Yeah. He's in the MC5. That's all fantastic. I'm like, but this guy, like, what no. is that? You know, and then in the aftermath of that day, I believe, was when the, the, the spark for jail guitar doors. Began, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. What we do is we find people that work in corrections that are willing to use music as a tool for uh, rehabilitation or habilitation in most cases. And we provide them with instruments. And we also um, have developed a curriculum and a syllabus to run um, songwriting workshops in prisons, which are really therapeutic in that they In the first place, we do not recognize gang affiliations, neighborhood affiliations, race, class, sexual orientation, prison politics all stay out on the yard in our workshops. In our workshops, everyone in this room are artists, and we can talk about anybody and anything, but we have to treat each other with dignity and respect. The men and women love the program. They live from week to week, to get back in that room and work on music and, and just be regular guys, just be human beings, which is what they are. They're natural, normal people, just like all of us. And today, our instruments and programs are in uh, about 170 American prisons. And today, we're most excited about our capo youth center, the all-one center, we've come to the conclusion that the important part of the job working with adults is important. But if we can interrupt, if we can disrupt the cradle-to-prison pipeline, then we're, we're all going to come out ahead. So we started working with young people a couple years ago in the L.A. County Probation Department, working in the youth camps, it's fun. It's not funny. Uh, it's funny, peculiar, not funny. Ha ha. They call them camps. Hmm. What they are is prisons for children. And yeah. we would work with them using the same songwriting programs. We'd have to shift the the style from playing guitars to turntables and microphones because all the kids are, they're down with rap. You know, we're, yeah. we're kind of uh you know, old <laughs> with, yeah. with our white guys with our guitars, but, yeah. uh, they, they, but they didn't hold it against us. And, and we were able to accommodate them.
0: Talk about a calling. You know what I mean? Like it really yeah. felt, it, was a, it really was a calling. You could, you could see you were sort of like inhabited by the Holy Spirit of this new mission, you know, to well, do yeah, this thing. And it was pretty amazing. The, yeah.
2: To be able to take the principle of being of service to my fellows. I mean, who are my fellows? They're the 2.3 million guys doing time in this country. You know, mm-hmm. I am those guys. They're me. You know, when I was talking to those guys at Sing Sing, like those are the only times I feel like people really understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, they they
0: understood. <laughs> they let me tell you, they understood. Yeah. That
1: was crystal well, clear. Well, I, I, I think that, you know, uh, when you talk about punk rock, there are so many parallels to what's happening in music creation via the computer via our phones where our resources are limited but these kids or whoever are creating out of nothing and yeah. and that is the genesis of punk rock yeah. is yeah. you know you yeah, know yeah. so so whether it's you find your drum kit in the dumpster or your drum kit's now on your fucking phone. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Well, that's, um, what I, that's what
0: I want to ask is sort of like a part... And, and Chris, you can start like, like what is your advice to those who are starting a band or aspiring to be a, a music creator that have activist inclinations in this year?
1: Well, I mean, it's just like... You know, the lessons are there from you guys. Let your activism and your empathy and your ethics guide you and the art that you create will reflect that. So whether you're looking at your own world or your family or uh, where you work or where you go to school and there's something that you want to influence or change – then you just use your vocation to do that. I mean, it's that simple. You know, you could put anyone in the world can put a song on the internet right now and it could be heard by millions of people. You don't need the infrastructures of record labels or tour buses or whatever. You know, we have instantaneous access to the world. And the last thing I want to say to Wayne is... Don't sell your guitar too short in those studio sessions because we had a recent session with some hip hop artists and I was playing a riff and someone recorded it and they're sending files to each other through the air <laughs> and it comes back. It doesn't sound like the guitar that I played, yeah. but it's but it's you're sick. in there. So, but you're in yeah. there. Exactly. But
0: you're no, in there. The guitar
2: yeah. still has a, still has a place in it all. Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah. We're not going quietly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) into that talk. No, we are not. No, we are not. I still have a feeling that the best guitars have yet to be played. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so I'd like to thank you both thank you very much Wayne Kramer, thank you very much Chris for being on Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower the world isn't going to change itself uh, that's up to you so until next time, take it easy, but take it let foes of justice tremble this has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app search Maximum Firepower